Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Planet Protectors podcast. Now, I'm super, super excited for this episode of the podcast because it is definitely one of the most fun and interesting interviews that I have done on this show. So without further ado, today's guest is someone who has made his mark in the urban wildlife world. His work has been seen in various publications like BBC, CBC, and the Canadian Geographic. He has been listed as one of Canadian Geographic's 2021 Wildlife Photographer of the Year. He also received the award of the Royal Ontario Museum 2022 Wildlife Photographer of the Year and was nominated for a Daytime Emmy. Please welcome urban wildlife photographer and filmmaker Andrew Budziak. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. All right, well, let's get right into it. When we think about wildlife photography, a lot of us think about people traveling long distances into a bunch of remote areas, but that is not the type of photography that you do. Can you tell us a little bit about your photography and perhaps how it differs from work from other wildlife photographers? Sure. So I think when people think about a wildlife photographer, like you said, it's wilderness, it's the jungle, it's it's the tundra, it's the savannah, it's, it's elephants, it's tigers. It's all of that stuff. That's not what I do. My photography takes place in the city. There's there's concrete. There are cars. There's traffic. There's graffiti. There's all of that stuff that makes a city a city. It's, it's urban life, right? And I'm super drawn to that because not a lot of people do it. There are fantastic storytelling opportunities out there that people haven't tapped. I mean, we've seen every photo ever polar bear, right? Like my apologies to my friends that photograph polar bears, but like we've seen them all. Um, how many photos, you know, uh, are there of, of a coyote with, with the CN tower or a skyline as the background, you know, those are the things that appeal to me. Those really like different photo opportunities. I love that. I love finding stuff that's different and weird and people haven't thought about yet. Yeah, that's great. And Going on to the storytelling, I saw a few episodes of The Edge of Frame, and that was amazing. The photos that you get, those were unreal. My favorite was the Harbor Seal in Vancouver. That was just, I was oh, thank you. stunned by that photo. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, Edge of Frame is a series that I, that I've released. It's, it's on YouTube. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, it's called, uh, just the series is called Edge of Frame. There are six episodes and I traveled coast to coast across Canada photographing urban wildlife and making a, a pretty awesome series about it. There are six episodes and each episode has a different assignment, uh, ranging from, like you said, harbor seals uh, in Vancouver, beavers in, in, uh, in Saskatoon, and whales in St. John's, like, you know, animals that not associate with the city, but hey, we, we tracked them down and we photographed them. Yeah, it was great. So the next question is, mm. What are you hoping to accomplish with the images and videos that you capture and create? My motto, my, my saying, the thing that informs all of my work is you can't protect what you can't see. And most of us, myself included up until not too long ago, I just walked through the city and maybe I'd hear a bird or maybe I'd see like a, a raccoon in the middle of the night or like a, a skunk or something like that. And I wouldn't think too much of it. But then when I got turned on to urban wildlife, I like I was seeing it everywhere and I was blown away by it. And I, I just said, oh, man, this is fantastic. It's here. 
not a ton of people think about this or know about this. And it's one more reason why we need to be protecting our green space. We need to be increasing the size of our, our, our parks and urban forests and ravines and things like that, not shrinking them down. We can't be building these homes that are just like destroying all the trees in the backyards. Like that's, that's not great. That's, that's bad for us as, as humans. It makes the city look ugly and it's, it's terrible for, for the awesome critters that are out there. So that's, that's one of the things that really motivates me. It's just this idea that if people don't know it's out there, if they can't see it, they can't fall in love with it and they can't decide to protect it. Wow. <laughs> that's a great uh, little saying. Thank you. Okay. The next question is what are some of the challenges you have you occasionally or regularly face as an urban wildlife photographer? Recently, one of the problems that's just been like, just been driving me crazy is I'm in Toronto and this city has gone nuts with traffic. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge problem. And I've tried to take transit to do these shoots, but, but the problem is usually I'm out up and out and about, before like transit started. So it's hard. So the traffic, and I mean, it's just like, I'm, I'm not going to an office. I'm going to like a beautiful green space. And here I am like stuck on the DVP or something like that. And that's just like, come on, like we got to, as a city, we got to like, we got to pull together. We got to solve this. The other issue I think that I, that is, that is prevalent that I face is just access. So if you're in the wilderness you can just, you can follow an animal. Like you can just go if you're good at climbing, if you're, if you know how to rock climb and things like that, you could get, you could get up cliff, cliff faces and, and, and get these photos. Um, if you have access to a boat, you could, you could go down a river, but in the city, I can't be jumping through people's backyards. I don't do that. I don't want to get arrested for trespassing. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be a bad guy um, and, and causing problems for the, for the people that, you know, back onto ravines or park space. So that that's a challenge that I was like, oh yeah, like if I if I see this deer, or if I see this, you know, particularly cool looking rabbit, and I'm like shooting this rabbit, and it takes off, and it goes into somebody's backyard, I can't really follow it, and I have a really big lens. I don't want to be leaning over somebody's fence trying to get this photo. That's 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 creepy. That's a bad idea. Uh, so that's that's tough. And also, you know, there are there are. There are roads that I can't cross. There are highways that I'm not going to cross on foot. There are little culverts that animals can get into that I that I can't. Obviously, shooting in the wilderness has huge challenges as well. But this one is so unique. The some of the some of the places I go to shoot are are tiny. It could be like a single lot, or I'm hoping I could get something. Um, There's this shot of a coyote I was trying to get a couple of years ago um, near the train tracks down by the lake, and I the the only possibility I had was putting my lens through this fence in this train yard to hit this kind of field with the CN tower. And I spent four hours each morning for five days. So that's 20 hours sitting in this one spot. And it's not like, it's not like, oh, this is the best chance I have of getting. It's like, this is the only opportunity I have. It's kind of this hole through this fence. And I never got, I never got the photo, but it's just this example of how challenging it can be to shoot in an urban environment and land the photos that you want to land. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. I mean, when I take a photo, if I see like a Robin in my backyard, mm -hmm. I'll grab my camera and then it's just flown away. So definitely not the struggles that you face, but. <laughs> no, but it's the, it really, it's the same. It's the same though. Like, um, because that, that Robin is gone. 
right? It's in your neighbor's yard after it, after it takes yeah. off, you know, you don't, um, I mean, okay. There are a lot of robins. They're common, but you we're, we're describing the same thing. That bird is, that bird's gone. You can't go, you know, you can't, Oh, maybe it's in the next tree. It's in the next tree. It's like, no, that's in your neighbor's yard. You can't be jumping fences or anything like that. So yeah, we're describing the exact same thing. Have you ever had, have you ever like really wanted to get a photo, but you've just never been able to get it due to like these restrictions? Oh man, there are so many photos that I want that I will need permission to get. So there are buildings that I want to access, like buildings I want to get on top of or into or behind. Um, there are train tracks that I want to kind of like get get near. There are all these spots. And I know like, I know the photos are going to be wicked. Like if I could get to some of these spots, it's going to be amazing. If I, if I trespass, if I get nailed or whatever, it's over for me. Like I can't, I can't risk it. So I have to go through the proper channels. Who owns this building? Give them a call, figure out, Hey, I'm this guy. Can I come like, come do this thing, you know, at this weird hour of the day to try to get this photo. And, uh, it's just, it's just a process. So there are so many photos that I, that I would love to get that I just, I got to go through the process. I need the permission. It's, it's a lot of work. So some of the photos that I've taken, you know, it's been, months it's been months to get these photos because there's like the process there's finding the location all of this stuff so those are yeah those that's a access is is certainly a big a big a big challenge i never realized it was uh that intense of a process to get some of these photos the process is huge um the, well pro look process is everything process for photography or for art or for any any kind of any creative endeavor process is everything, especially if you're, if it's a solo endeavor, um, there's a different process, say for playing in a band. If you have your, your musicians and it's you and three of your buddies and you're writing songs, there's a process of, of, of you all coming together. But for like the solo endeavor, whether it's painting, you're, you're sculpting, you're, you're, you're dancing, you're doing something, you're doing something alone, you know, the solo performance, um, or photography, that's you and that's your process and your process is going to adapt and build and change over time. And I love thinking about my process. I love thinking about process in general, because that's the whole thing. If you don't, if you don't hone your process, what that is, and you're not constantly sharpening it, like your, your end result isn't going to be, isn't going to be great. One of the biggest deterrents, and this is true of like of anything. So, okay, let's say you're in high school and you're in grade nine, you're in grade 10 and you have these options for extracurricular um, and you do it and you get into this thing and you're, you're like interested and you, you get into it and it's hard. It's hard because you don't, you don't understand the process yet. This is true of sports or anything. Like you want to do a sport. All right. You got to get used to like the working out. You need to do the training. And if you could understand developing process early, that is going to stay with you for your entire life. I know adults that are boring and they're scared and they never do anything. Like they just, they go to work and it's like, your work sucks. It's boring. Like I know what you do is boring. And then they come home and they like go on vacation like once a year. I think those people never learned process. They, they never learned how to like develop a passion for something, sink their teeth in, and make it their own because I don't know, maybe the first thing they ever tried was hard and they gave up. But if you, if you find something, um, yeah, sports, arts, like hiking, woodworking, anything, 
um, writing. If you if you if you develop a passion for something and you're like, oh, I want to do this, and you, you hone your you hone your skill, you hone your process around it, like that's a thing that's going to repeat itself throughout your life, and you're going to have a really interesting life. And if you don't do that, you're just going to be boring, and you're going to be like standing at the TTC, hating your job, hating your you know your your nine to five, and what a sad way to live. And I know this is like way off the topic of being an urban wildlife photographer, but I think process is is something you should learn early and, and stick with. And you'll, and if you do that, you're going to have a really interesting life. Yeah. It's a life skill. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So the next question is more about cities. So cities are changing all the time and this must have some impact on the wildlife that lives there. What changes have you observed in cities and more specifically, what changes have you observed in the urban wildlife that call these cities home? COVID was crazy for all of us, but also the animals. We weren't out walking around. We weren't driving a lot. Animals came out. They were they were in, in places where we generally hadn't seen them in the past. They got more comfortable. They they were out on the, the roads more. There was a lot more wildlife because we we weren't there. And that's a really like that was a really quick immediate change. I don't want to say it happened overnight because nature doesn't generally like do things just overnight so but it happened and it came on in like a season and it was kind of wild um what i've a big change i've noticed is after that so covid happened there was like the like the initial lockdown where it was like you can't really you can't do anything you can't you just like you can't go out and then it was like okay you can like kind of go out you still can't jump on a plane and go on a vacation. It's still not a good idea to drive to your cottage, but you can like kind of be out in the city. So people went nuts for the parks and the green spaces and really began to appreciate it in a way that they never have. And although now like everything's pretty much up back to normal, you can, you can jump on a flight to Aruba or whatever, go wherever vacation place you want to go, go up to Muskoka, go to Algonquin. I think that love, that like next stage of love that people developed for the parks in this city has remained. So parks are busy. Like people are out there doing stuff. They, they, they've taken advantage of, of outside in the city in a way that they hadn't before. And I, I think that's true of not just, not just Toronto or Ontario or Canada, but a lot of the world, people are like, oh man, these parks are great and it feels good to be here and I could do things with my friends and family. And guess what? It's free. Like you just go. Like everything's everything's kind of expensive, right? Living in a city, but you just, I go to the park and maybe I bring a bag of chips from my pantry that I already bought or like some bottles of water or juice or something and kick around this soccer ball or like go for a hike with these old binoculars I've had forever and like look around for... I don't know, whatever bird you want to find. That's so rad. And I I think that um as as heinous as as the lockdown and COVID and all of that was, this is definitely an upside. People people really ramped up their appreciation for parks and people that I think never really took the time to explore the ravines and forests of their city now, you know, are 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 passionate about it. Obviously not everybody, but but a lot of people developed a very serious love for these urban green spaces. Yeah, and that's that's really a great thing. So during COVID, I remember there were some red foxes on the beaches of Toronto. Did you ever photograph them? 
No, so this was really this was really interesting. So what happened was there were foxes that took up basically made a den under the boardwalk because people weren't using it. It's perfect, right? There's all sorts of like mice and stuff around the beach. So these foxes had tons of stuff to eat. Sand is easy to burrow under. The boardwalks makes a nice like ceiling for their 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 den. Uh, so people were like going crazy for them and coming out and getting way too close and doing really dumb things. And a dog um, ended up killing one of the one of the kits, one of the one of the baby foxes because dog was unleashed. People don't know how to like keep their dogs away from from wild animals, all these things. Uh, similar situation sort of happened the next year. And then I don't think the foxes were back the third year. So when I see, let's say, let's call it a celebrity animal. So they happen, right? Like, oh, this neighborhood, you know, this neighborhood has a, has a white raccoon. That, that happens every year, right? There's a white raccoon somewhere. Um, or there's like, oh yeah, there's this buck with like these crazy antlers in this part of the Don Valley. And, or there's this owl in this tree and like everybody's flocking to it. Um, I don't go, I don't go there because those animals don't need any more stress. It was a tension that killed those foxes. I mean, it was a dog and a bad dog owner, but the last thing those foxes needed was me showing up. And funny enough on the third year where they just, they weren't there um, prior, prior to that, the city of Toronto contacted me and said, Hey, can you kind of be the official photography for these foxes? We're going to put up these like boards around it. We're going to like give them private space. and We want photo and video that we can release to the public, but we want to like physically build a barrier. So they're safe. Can you be the official photographer? And I said, sure. So, uh, there are people there in the city that, that know when these kits are going to be born, like when the baby foxes are going to be born and they were going to give me a heads up about that. And I was going to go down and do some stuff, but they never ended up. Uh, I believe anyway, I don't, I don't think, or, or maybe the city, they did, the city just kept it quiet or something, but I, I didn't end up doing that. Cause I believe I could be wrong, but I believe there were just no, the foxes just didn't, didn't return there for the third year. Yeah. That's, it's unfortunate that that had to play out that way as well. It is. Yeah. So the next question is, what was your biggest surprise or the most unusual shirt? I spent a bunch of time in St. John's, Newfoundland, trying to photograph whales. So this was for my series, Edge of Frame. It was the, it was the final travel episode. And or I, wanted to, I wanted to like make this link. I wanted to make this, make, tell the story of whales as an urban animal. So... St. John's has a harbor and it's like, if you look at Canada, if you're standing, you look at the map all the way to the right, all the way East, as far as you can go in North America is, is, is like, is basically say Newfoundland, right? So there's the ocean. There's a lot of ocean between Newfoundland and, and Europe uh, and Africa and, and, and all of that stuff. And this is where whales breed is where they eat, where they, live in june they come to like the newfoundland like the, the saint john's harbor to to eat they 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 follow the fish that that come in there to spawn and they just go crazy and they they eat and they're right there right at the mouth of the harbor it would be like going to a jays game leaving the leaving the roger center walking five minutes down to the water and you look out and instead of seeing the toronto island you see whales like that's how close they are to the city. They come, they come right up. They come right up there. So I'm like, I want to get a photo of, of these whales that are, that are here. And I, I did finally land one 
And I was so, 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 so happy with it. And it was like, you know, you can't see the city in the photo, but the, you know, the whale, the, the city's right there. And I was so happy that I was able to piece that story together and like make this case that whales are an urban animal. They're tied to our cities and we have to think about our harbors and our water and like protect what's underneath there. Uh, and and has have that as like in our city mindset. Hey, here are these residents that 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 come every summer and hang around our shores and they live here. And ah, uh, just what an honor, right? Having whales come out here. So that was great. That was that was even though I had like prepared for it, it was a thing I wanted. It was still everything about it felt unexpected and exciting. Yeah, and whales are like the animal that I would least expect to be considered an urban animal since there's such a big ocean right there absolutely people live on the ocean right we 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 build we build on water that's how we always have like cities are built uh on you know historically on water we need it for for us for our you know our life to to drink to catch fish for transport all of that stuff and whales need it for the same thing so you know why why wouldn't uh, whales be urban every every couple of months out of the year so for those of us who want to become urban wildlife photographers do you have any recommendations for them? Yeah. So the, the first thing I would say, if anybody wants to get into photography of any kind is to don't, don't be deterred by the, by, by the price of, of gear. You'll see me in videos with a giant lens over my shoulder and a really expensive camera. That's like, it's, it's, that's a lot like that stuff's expensive. Don't look at that and think that's what you need. I also use little cameras. I use my phone. Like I use my phone to get stuff. What you need to do is if you want to get in any kind of photography, especially wildlife, is look at the gear you have available to you right now. It could be your parents' old camera. It could be something you have. It doesn't even have to be a great camera. But alter the kind of photo, alter your expectations and the kind of photos you want to get based around that gear. You could get really, really, really awesome landscape stuff with birds flying over the city and flocking or a big, a big mass of birds with a phone. You don't need a big lens for that. You can also, um, you could also get small things, things that are up close, uh, squirrels, insects, these awesome, like little stories with the phones you have in your house or just in your pocket. So don't be deterred by gear. Um, use what you have. And then, you know, in your life, when you do have a bit of money or a bit of extra cash, or you've, you've, uh, you've, you've saved up or, or whatever, that's when you can invest in some of this stuff and do your, do your research and buy gear accordingly. And just make sure that, uh, you know, if you have a, if you have a kind of a short lens, like you're not going to be able to like do birds that are really far away. It's just not, it's just not going to work. And along with that, like get the problem of gear out of your head, whatever camera you have is fine. The second piece of advice is like, put your shoes on and go, just, just go, just get, do photos, do videos, like learn to edit, learn to process, just do it, figure out your process and do it over and over and over and over and over and over again and challenge yourself to get a better photo than you did the day before. And that's like, that's the big, the big key. If this is something you want to do, just get better and you get better by challenging yourself and pushing yourself and just being like, hey, like I had this crazy photo of a robin yesterday. It was sitting there. It was drinking from a bird bath. Today, I want to get a robin in flight. Today, I want to get a photo of a robin, like, like ripping a ripping a, a worm out of the ground. You know, like just 
be pushing yourself. And then like, maybe you love those photos so much. All you do for the rest of your life is photograph Robins. Who cares? Right. But you're going to be the Robin expert. And at the end, if you do that for 10 years, your photos at the end are going to be mind blowing, mind blowing. And the most recent National Geographic, um, the first story is a guy, um, this guy who photographs beta fish, which are like fish you have in your, um, they call them like fighting fish. So they've got those big kind of wavy tails and that's what he photographs. And they're insane fish. Like these fish cost like $4 at the pet store. Like you could get these things and he puts cardboard behind. It's so low tech. And he's done all these, I mean, sorry, it started as low tech. He, he's kind of specially built these tanks and all this stuff. But like that—that that is the equivalent of just being like, I'm only going to photograph Robins. And so don't worry. Like don't, don't worry about having these big grand, you know, these grand expectations. Like you have to do this, just fall in love with it, develop that passion. Don't worry about your gear, figure out the process and and go from there and that's that's true of urban wildlife photography that's true of traditional wildlife photography and really any any art in general just fall in love with it and hone your hone your practice fall in love with it and hone your skill wow that's i'll take that one to heart (laughs) (laughs) awesome so are you working towards any new projects right now always always um there's uh there's a there's a term called pitching, which is pitching is like where you shop around ideas so to different funders and broadcasters and different outlets. I am never not pitching. I'm never not trying to get money to do these projects. And when things get approved, you gotta go you gotta go do it. So I just came off this really intense couple of months of like too much stuff happening all at once, but that's just sort of how it is. So right now I'm just in the process of kind of gearing up for the next the next projects and you got to be stacking these things like it's you kind of got to be superhuman with your time management and be able to take on four things at once it's it's the hardest one of the hardest parts of of being creative and working for yourself is that balance of being out there and working and shooting and doing the art and then also coming home and getting the funding like it's it's this constant constant battle constant cycle but it's you know it's the best it's the best way to make a living so who cares so could there possibly be a second season of edge of frame yeah yeah do you can i'm I'm in the process of of figuring out how to do a new season i want to go global with it so i want to take what you saw in the first season and travel around the world and photograph weird urban animals yeah all over the globe wow well I can't wait for that to happen. Ah, thank you. So the final question is, where can people find your work? I I direct a lot of stuff through my Instagram. So my Instagram is Andrew underscore Budziak. Uh, it's it's got the blue the blue check, so it's pretty easy to find. But like that's that's where I talk to people. Like I'm constantly like DMing with people with questions and things like that. That's where I post my photos links to all of my videos. So really Instagram is a great place to start. And from there I have links to my YouTube and to my website and anything I'm doing. So uh, my Instagram really is my home for, for everything. Well, I'll be sure to uh, attach those in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Oh, this was great. It was an absolute honor and a fantastic chat.